I hope you don't miss how the Lord kind of brings themes together. We've heard a lot of themes this morning that are important, our need to proclaim Christ um, and to proclaim him to our community, to share the words of life. And we've also talked about some attributes of God in our singing this morning. All of these things, folks, as a song we just heard reminds us, don't forget any of these things that we've been emphasized, that has been emphasized in our service this morning. They're all important. And stay close to Jesus' side. He is the resurrection and the life. And this is one aspect, certainly, that we never want to forget as we're proclaiming Christ and telling others about Christ. Um, Rick mentioned this morning to, that repentance needs to be emphasized. That's another aspect of the gospel that sometimes gets shortchanged, and it shouldn't. It's important. But there can be times where folks also focus so much on the death and the sacrifice of Christ, which is important. <laughs> that is the heart of the gospel. But they forget that heart of the gospel as well is the resurrection and the life. And that must be proclaimed. And this is the happy state that we find ourselves with today is that we get to hear about Jesus' power to resurrect and to give life. What a joyous, joyous topic this is, and I'm so glad to be back in this book and start out the rest of the study then with the second um, half here, starting with John 11. Really, John 11 is, in a lot of ways, the high point or, or the, the midpoint of the whole book, and it's so appropriate that Jesus describes himself with another I am statement. We've had many of those. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And they've coincided most of the time as the way that John has written this gospel and weaved his themes together. They coincide with a miraculous sign. Remember, miracles in this book are referred to, even in the Greek word, as signs. They are things to take note of that will teach you things about Jesus Christ. And as he gives this incredible, this final I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life, he will, so to speak, back it up with an incredible sign and miracle that will amaze everyone. Well, let's first of all remember where we've been in John chapter 10, that beautiful passage where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. Last Wednesday, we were talking about David, and we saw that David was a good shepherd and responsible shepherd but he wasn't the ultimate shepherd as Jesus is and proclaimed himself to be. This didn't go over very well with many of the Jews. And as he finished his final public teaching that's mentioned in the book of John at the end of the chapter, he said another amazing statement. He said, I and my father are one. And many of the Jews at that moment took up stones to stone him. Jesus calmed them down. And if you'll remember, said, if you don't believe me, believe the works that my father is doing through me. He is my confirmation that he has sent me. All that you have seen is confirmation. And so they still sought to put him away, to put him in prison. And he went beyond back where John the Baptist had his ministry. He took his disciples. It wasn't God's time yet for Jesus 
to suffer that crucifixion and to be resurrected. And so he abode there and had still much ministry to do. And they stayed there. Many came and believed on him. And now we have the chapter 11. Something draws him back. Ultimately, it's his father's plan. It's his father's time. But specifically, the initiation of this was word that a dear friend had gotten sick, was ill. And we have here in verse one, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister, Martha. And we're going to see that through this, Jesus says to Mary and our, or to Martha, excuse me, that's important. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? That is the question for us today. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We're going to be looking at that this morning and tonight. And the ultimate question is, do you believe that truth? The most important truth. Father, as we come to your word now, give us understanding. For those that truly are your children, let this be a time of rejoicing. Although for your servants in this narrative, it was a time of grief and questions. We know the end of the story that Jesus turns that around and makes it an occasion for overwhelming great joy. But let us that know this story well, even today, help it not to be so familiar that we lose the joy and what it calls from us to examine ourselves. Do we truly believe these truths for those that would make a false profession? Let today be the day that they truly trust in the resurrection and the life. For those of us who have made that true profession, may it motivate us to share this truth with others this week. So, Father, may the Spirit work and give us great joy as we go over these truths today. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus, we're going to see in this first part through verses 1 through 27, he can increase faith even through tragedy and we're going to and we're also no it also going to note here that Jesus delays his presence for a specific reason even though a dear loved one is sick he has his purposes and God has his purposes for why he allows us to go through dark things when God doesn't act in the time frame that we think that he should don't get bitter Let this story this morning remind you that God has his purposes, that Jesus has his purposes for delaying or for waiting, and it is to increase faith and ultimately to bring God glory. Jesus would get much glory through what is going to happen here, but it involves the dear friend's illness. And this friend in particular, his name was Lazarus. This is the first time that we've been introduced to him in this book, as well as Mary and Martha. There is other accounts in the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, and many of you, I'm sure, probably remember the story of Mary and Martha. Mary gets the positive end of that account as we read through that. Martha gets um, some correction and some gentle chastisement, and it's unfortunate that we think of Martha Martha through that lens of that narrative, because folks, in this narrative, she shines. An amazing statement of faith 
that Martha has here that really ought to be the reason we remember her rather than being a little ornery and complaining once. And we're going to see that now. But Lazarus, Bethany is where they reside, Mary and her sister Martha. And then it reminds us, although it hasn't talked about this yet, verse 2, for those that remember the story well, and the early church would have remembered this story, John reminds us that Mary is that Mary, verse 2, which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, John hasn't actually talked about that yet. He will in chapter 12. But he knows the early church knows that. And probably this is recognition that the other gospels are already in circulation. And so they've heard this story before. They're well aware of it. And he's saying this Mary and her sister Martha as he continues. And so as these sisters have strong, robust faith in Jesus, they send him word, verse 3, therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Notice they don't call for him to come. They just want to let him know. They trust him, but they're not going to tell, and I think they've learned at this point, I think Martha probably learned a little bit from the last time. Lord, tell Mary. This time, they don't tell Jesus what to do, but they let him know. Lazarus is very sick, and it's the person that that you love that is very dear to you, Jesus. Just kind of a reminder of that. And even in that description, folks, what a beautiful description. You know, it's not just Lazarus that Jesus loves. This is a personal description, a personal description relationship, friendship, love that Jesus has with Lazarus. And Jesus has that same love for each and every one of us that are truly God's children. For all of us believers today, you could put your name in there. Jesus loves me, that wonderful children's song that has so many great truths. Jesus loves each of us in that way. And when we call to him in our darkest circumstances, Verse 4, he hears us. He may not always act in the way that we think that he should, but he loves us, he cares for each of us, and he hears us. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What an interesting way for Jesus to respond to the news that his dear friend is very, very sick. And probably by this point, it probably took a couple days for the message to reach Jesus. Most likely, Lazarus, by the time Jesus gets the official word, has probably already passed away by what we can see here as we, we count up the days. But Jesus already knew. He knew what was going on. And he knew that ultimately that this would be used, not for tragedy, although it was a tragedy in death, but that God might be glorified. And Jesus knew that he would use this terrible event of his dear friend's death and that God would get the glory through an amazing, powerful miracle. Jesus, the Lord has a different perspective on our trials than we do, doesn't he? Always remember that. Jesus isn't being glib here, not just throwing out, oh, God will get the glory regardless. So just, you know, be happy. Just do your best to get through. No, he understands grief, and we're going to see that throughout this narrative. He understands human grief and being troubled. 
And yet with that understanding, he says, just wait. He's going to use this tragedy to bring God glory. And he's going to say later on to increase faith. And we're reminded that Jesus isn't saying this, just throwing this out glibly or being shallow or trite in any way, because verse five tells us Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And John is trying to point out Jesus had a strong personal bond of love toward each of these individuals. And folks, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're doubting Jesus' love for you, let this, these verses remind you again. It's not just Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he loves in that way. He loves you. He loves me in that way. And when he allows things to happen into our lives for our benefit that, that we don't always see the need for, it's because he loves us. And it's because he loves these folks. Verse 6, and when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, two days he would have, would have been before the news. So probably at this point, Lazarus has already died. And so he abode two days still in the same place where he was. This wasn't Jesus knowing that Lazarus is maybe having his last breaths, so to speak, and just waiting um, indifferently for a couple of days. At this point, by the time he receives word, Lazarus probably has already passed away. Jesus knows this. And there is a specific reason beyond what we normally understand why he would wait two more days. From what we understand of Jewish belief at this time, we have evidence of this, um, I think, AD 200 or so Jewish documents. There was a belief that after someone passed away, now this isn't scriptural belief, this is Jewish tradition, let's be clear, but there was a belief with the Jewish people and the Jewish rabbis that the spirit of the person would hang on for a couple more days, for three days. But at the fourth day, by the time the body started to deteriorate, then the spirit would leave. The spirit of the person would leave. If that was the belief of Jews at this time, and there's a good chance that there was, there was a very specific reason why Jesus waited even two more days to totally abolish this belief and to make people understand that Lazarus was dead to the point where in their minds, there was no coming back. Even with Jewish superstition, day four, there was no way that Lazarus had a chance to come back again. If that belief is true, and I think that it is, this highlights this even more, and it highlights the miracle in people's minds. Lazarus had no chance when Jesus waited as long as he did. Verse 7, then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Seems like they had not received word about Lazarus's condition. And his disciples are very concerned that he would say this. Because remember, they just recently left to go north after Jesus was threatened to be stoned. They know the danger that he's involved in. And for Jesus to say this, let us go back. Let us head down. And really, what is Jesus saying when he says, let us go to Judea again? They don't know this, but Jesus does. He's saying, let us begin the road to the cross. This is going to be the road to the cross for him. As he heads south, eventually he'll end up back in Jerusalem, and he will give himself 
so that others can have life. And this begins that in a way. So when they say, verse 8, his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou hither again? Jesus, that's the reason we left, right? I mean, you saw those angry Jews. They didn't really like that when you said that I and my father are one, and we're still trying to work through that ourselves. But to go back down south to Judea, even to get close to Jerusalem, in the region of Jerusalem, is, you might say today, it's suicide. You you don't want to do that. (laughs) They had no idea how much more Jesus was headed towards in his ultimate direction when they, and, and Jesus could almost say, oh, I know far better than you do what's about to take place here. And yet Jesus says something interesting. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of the world. What does that have to do with what we're talking about here? What's this 12 hours in the day? Doesn't Jesus know there's actually 24 hours in a day? And he's using the expression 12 hours in a day pretty much in the same way that we would when we say there are, there are only 24 hours in a day. It's not that we're reminding people that, that don't understand how many hours are in a day, but we're saying we've only got so much time and we want to be productive, you know? So we have to be careful about how we use our time. In really one sense, Jesus is saying that, but much more in a much more profound way. But in Jewish times, in Jewish culture at this time, there wasn't an understanding. They didn't have the, a, a time, they didn't have clocks to look at. They didn't have time divided up the way that we do today. So 12 hours was the daylight at this time that they had. And that fluctuated from 15 to 10 hours, depending on the seasons. But it was a regular saying, basically, that the time that we have in this day, we only have 12 hours of daylight. There's only 12 hours in a day. It's only after that. They didn't have, remember, they didn't have night lights. They didn't have electric lights. They didn't have smartphones. You could literally turn on your flashlight and walk around. When it's dark, it's dark, and your day's done. And so Jesus says this, but this idea of any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. Do you remember who he said the light of the world was? He's talking about himself. And what he's saying here is, men, I know you don't understand this, but I don't have much more time. And there are things that I need to do and that you are going to go with me and see me do and that you're going to do while the light of the world is still here on earth in my earthly ministry. We have lots to do and we can't let threats like this deter us. And I won't let threats deter me from what my father has decreed and planned for me. Let's go. Because verse 10, if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. And Jesus is carefully pointing out that there will be a time where he will no longer be with them or he, his, his earthly ministry will end soon. And man only has a short amount of time to take advantage of his earthly ministry. And then it will be dark in a sense. He will be gone. Now he would bring the whole, allow, he would uh, send the Holy Spirit. And that's another aspect of this. But he is giving a warning to those around him and to those that have the ability, the wonderful privilege of hearing him proclaim his ministry and who he is, that he's not going to be with them forever. So let's do ministry while we can. 
Verse 11, these things said he, after and after that, he saith unto them. Now he gets to the point of why he wants to go to Judea specifically. And even as Jesus prepares for the cross, the journey for the cross, he's going to start that journey in a wonderful, powerful way. And he's going to deal with this very difficult tragedy. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Describes Lazarus's death because he knows that Lazarus has died at this point. And he describes it in that beautiful image of sleep that all we as believers can take as our own. Folks, whenever we go to a funeral of a loved one that's trusting Christ, we can legitimately say, they're just asleep right now. We'll see them again. What beautiful, what wonderful comfort that gives to us and the harshness of death and the tragedy and loss of death can be a beautiful thing for a believer. And it's a good reminder for us. Beautiful picture, but the disciples, as you would expect, totally miss it. They totally miss the beauty here. Jesus says, I'm going to go wake him up out of his sleep. What does that mean? The disciples basically say, verse 12, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Lord, if he's just taking a nap, if he's just sleeping, he'll wake up. So there's no reason for us to have to go to Judea. We can stay up here and be safe. That's great. Totally missed the, the picture. And so Jesus then just says it bluntly, right? Oh, well, well explains. John explains Jesus's picture for his audience that are reading this and for us. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken out of taking rest and sleep. They're breathing a sigh of relief. Oh, well, there's no reason to go to Judea. So Jesus said unto them plainly, guys, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And then he says something that's shocking. For I am glad, folks, this Greek word not has the idea of just being glad. It has the idea of rejoicing. I'm rejoicing for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Really? Jesus is rejoicing? Don't try this when you're trying to comfort people, folks. It won't go over very well. A friend that's died, and yet I rejoice in what God's going to do. Well, <laughs> let's, let's have some time of healing first. Let's have some time of grief ourselves. Jesus isn't being inconsiderate or... Um, or he's not trying to, to hurt them or be obnoxious in, in any way. Jesus really is rejoicing because he knows what he's about to do. And he knows that through his actions, even though they don't have understanding yet, that it will bring great joy to them, the same joy that he is experiencing as he tells them of this, but also it will increase their faith and God will be glorified. And folks, in the end, we really... A mature Christian comes to this point in their lives that they are willing, even though they may not enjoy the prospect, they are willing to go through whatever God wants them to go through so that God will bring glory. Well, God will receive glory. And Jesus knows that. But that's a hard thing for some of us sometimes to go through difficult things with the attitude, but God's going to receive glory so we can go through this. And that's my ultimate objective. That's my ultimate desire. Mature Christians do come to that point, though. 
Lord, in the end, even if it's very hard, if you receive glory from it, then it's good. And Jesus rejoices because their faith will be increased and he will receive glory. God will be glorified. All of these things will happen. In that effect, we get to the end of the story. You know this. It is a joyful event, but they don't know it yet. And then said Thomas, which is called Didymus. Well, what does Didymus mean? It means twin. Now, that's real spiritually theological. It's, it's just what it, mean. it means in the Greek. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean, and trust me, there are all kinds of scholars that have come up with all kinds of ideas that one of the other disciples was his twin and were just never told. And some even say that he might have been the twin of Jesus, which is really kind of strange. Um, but the point is, we don't know. We don't know why he was called twin. That was just his name. And John is letting us know here. He obviously was a twin. He had a twin somewhere. But what is Thomas truly known for? Kind of like Martha, another event that took place later after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he doubted. Now, doubting Thomas isn't a title for him in scriptures, but we often call him that. But just like, maybe not to the extent of Martha here, this is one of Thomas's shining moments in actuality. Now, he sounds a little cynical, doesn't he? He says unto his fellow disciples, and you could read it this way, let us also go that we may die with him. Well, that's pretty cynical if he said it that way. But in reality, we don't know. And regardless of how Thomas said it, there's no doubt here. He knows that Jesus is going to be in danger if he heads the route, the, the direction he's going to. And Thomas says, Let's be loyal to him, guys. Let's go with him anyway. Perfect faith? Not quite. Faith needs to be strengthened, yes, but here is a bold proclamation of loyalty. Even Peter's quiet in this regard. It takes Thomas to stand up and say, guys, we're with him till the end. We're probably going to die, but we're with him till the end, and they're ready to go with him. A good moment of of leadership for Thomas there, and a good reminder to us, not just to blame Thomas for being doubtful, but give him um, the credit where God was working in his life at this time as well. Well, they head down to Bethany. They approach the town. They don't reach the town, but verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had lain in the grain four days already. Now we're past that time. We're even in Jewish superstition. There's a lot of S's in the message today. I'm tripping over. Even with Jewish superstition, four days, there's no chance of him coming back. And they reached that. There are four days. And Bethany, verse 18, was nigh unto Jerusalem, only about 15 furlongs off. That is about two miles And John is emphasizing here that Jerusalem's very close, that Jesus' sacrifice is coming very quickly in this. I think that's the reason he's letting us know that, reminding us. Then Martha, verse 20, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Martha was the older sister, considered the mistress of the house. It was her responsibility to greet guests, but that was more than what was going on here. 
she was ready to meet Jesus. She runs out of the village and goes to meet him on the road. He hasn't even reached the town yet. And she reaches him and she says an interesting statement here that I think sometimes is misunderstood as well. And that is, Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast not hast been here, my brother had not died. Now, I read that in a specific way. I read that to kind of make it sound like she's almost complaining or trying to make him feel guilty. Lord, if you'd have just been here, my brother, he would have never died. But I really don't think with the way that the Greek reads here in the context, I honestly think, folks, that Martha's not really saying this. She's chagrined. She wishes that things would have worked out to where Jesus could have been there. But folks, this is a statement of faith. She's basically saying, Jesus, I trust you have the power. If you would have been able to be here, she's not blaming him, in other words, but she's giving a statement of faith that you have the power to heal. You had the power to heal my brother. And I know, maybe she's saying, I know things didn't work out. But look what she says in verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. God, or, or, and, and Jesus is going to say something here that's really going to help her understand further. And what he's going to do next is going to give her greater understanding. Jesus can increase faith through tragedy. And even his delay can increase faith and bring glory to God. But also his presence will increase their faith. And Jesus will increase their faith through his resurrection power. And his, his very presence here has a powerful effect upon Mary. And she says, Jesus, even now, I know that you have such a unique, close relationship with God that whatever you ask of God, he will do. Now, don't misunderstand this, folks. Nobody here in this narrative except for Jesus has any idea of what Jesus is about to do. Martha here is not asking for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. She's going to be just as shocked as everybody else when that happens. But she is saying, I know that you're now in the situation, you're here, and that in and of itself, Jesus, things are going to happen, because I believe that. Do you believe even in the darkness of the things that are going on in your life, that because the presence of Jesus is in your life, that things are going to happen? Maybe not what you wanted to, but folks, I've prayed this many times when I've been frustrated with things. I've said, Jesus or, or Lord, I don't, I can't tell you what to do. You are sovereign, but Lord, just do something. You're here. Wake people up. Do something. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but make a change. And many times when I've prayed that, God has, every time actually, God has done something. Sometimes he surprised me. Sometimes he's done what I've asked him to do. But here is great faith. And don't take this away from Martha's response here. She runs to Jesus. Mary is so upset at this point, she can't even go to greet the Savior. Maybe she's hurt. Maybe she, unlike Martha, was, had the idea of if Jesus had only been here. We don't know from what Mary, how Mary responds. And we'll see Mary's response tonight. We don't have time to get there tonight. But I want to focus as we finish up here on Martha's amazing response, and Jesus' amazing, even more amazing description of himself. Jesus says, verse 23, he saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. 
Now that had to take her. It, it should have taken her off guard. That would have been the last thing that she was expecting because Mary Martha misunderstands him, verse 24, and saith unto him, oh, I know. I know, Jesus, that you have the power to raise him up again, that, that, that God will raise him up again in resurrection at the last day. Martha does well here in the fact that she does believe in the resurrection. That's why I had Floyd this morning read about the resurrection at end times for believers, because Martha at least has that understanding. She knows that all the followers of Jesus will experience resurrection one day. And so, but she again, as the others do in this narrative, she misses it because it's the last thing she's expecting out of all the things that she expects. Remember, it's four days in the grave and everybody's mind, so there's nothing that can be done. And Martha is not expecting that Jesus is actually saying that her brother could rise again much more quickly than at the end time resurrection. Maybe even today, she misses that. And so Jesus calls her to an even greater faith here. He saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Um, Let me just point out here what Jesus is saying. He's giving more. He's not just saying that he can give resurrection and life. He's going far beyond that or beyond that. But he's saying that these two um, characteristics or aspects are so closely associated with him that he can say both that he can identify himself as the resurrection and the life because he can resurrect both physically and spiritually and he can prepare us for eternal life with him forever. He's saying he is the key to our resurrection from spiritual death and to full and everlasting life of his righteousness that he will give us. In that statement, I am the resurrection and the life is encapsulated all that Jesus can and does for those that put their faith and trust in him, that he will provide them eternal life. He is the life. He's already said in the past that he's the life, but now he says, I will provide resurrection as well. I alone have the power to do this. You can't experience spiritual and physical resurrection, but through me, I am that door. And so he is calling Martha to believe that. Uh, A commentator named D.A. Carson puts it this way. Jesus is not asking if she believes that he is about to raise her brother from the dead, but if her faith can go beyond that quiet confidence that her brother will be resurrected at the last day to personal trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. The only person who can grant eternal life and promise the resurrect or the transformation of resurrection. Folks, all who believe in Jesus will receive eternal life and will experience resurrection. Physical death can still occur, right? Jesus isn't saying, that'd be wonderful. You put your faith and trust in Jesus and automatically, no worry about death, you will be resurrected. 
we'll all be raptured. Well, we do hope and we look forward to, Lord, as long as we're still breathing here, we still have that possibility. We might be in the rapture. That would be great. But Jesus isn't saying in this moment that there won't be physical death. But he is saying spiritual death is not possible for the believer. He has the power. He has raised us from that. And he gives us life. And so you never have to doubt, child of God, that you will one day experience eternal punishment because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Don't ever doubt the truths of what he says here. And Martha gives this statement of of belief here. Or actually, let's continue on what Jesus says in verse 26. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this, Martha, do you take these truths that I'm giving you? Are they personally yours? It's almost like he's taking one's face and saying, look at me in the eyes. Do you believe this? He's pointing right at her. Jesus is asking all of us this too. Do you, do you believe this? It's not a general, well, that's good for some people. No, do you personally believe this? And Martha gives a wonderful statement that we all should be able to give. And this really is what Martha should be remembered for, because this is marvelous. I think in some ways this outshines what Peter's statement about Jesus. She said unto him, yea, Lord, yes, Lord, I do believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Did she understand what he was about to do? No, but I believe, yes, it's a confident yes. And I believe not only that I affirm that, but I will give you the content of what I believe here. I believe um, that thou art the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one that the Old Testament said that God would send us Jesus. You are it. You are him. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. Whether she's actually understanding that he is deity, possibly, but she understands that there is a unique relationship that Jesus has with the Father that no one else has, and that he alone has the power of God to do work in their lives. That is an amazing statement. And then finally, which should come into the world, that he was the one that God had sent as a deliverer to bring salvation the one that God had ordained from before time to come and to provide resurrection in life. Oh, Martha's going to be surprised tonight as we continue this narrative of what Jesus is going to do with her brother. But she's not surprised at the truth of who he is because she assents to this. And folks, as we finish up today, that's a great verse to end on. Do you assent to the truth? of who Jesus is. If you do, then don't ever doubt or be fearful. You have life, an eternal life, life everlasting, that you can never lose because Jesus has resurrection power. He will raise our bodies one day. And as a reminder of that, tonight we're going to see him do that in a miraculous way in this dear friend's life. Don't lose hope, but believe in Jesus and who he is. Father, thank you for this marvelous truth. 
Thank you for Martha's marvelous statement of faith. This is something you worked in her. And yet she has the response that we all should have. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe in the truths of who you are. May that be the testimony for everyone in this room and everyone that's within the sound of my voice. If there is someone here today that still will not confidently assent to those truths, may they do that today and experience eternal life rather than eternal death. Help them to trust in the resurrection and the life. Help us to proclaim him as such. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.